So the youngsters are going to go to their groups. Uh, just uh, that reminder that on Friday, 6 o'clock, we need help to set up for um, the men's breakfast. And also Pastor Tim's notice about connecting together. The sign-up sheet is here at the front. That'll be here afterwards. Do please put your name up for that. Thank you. Good to see you. <laughs> well, it is uh, good to be back uh, whenever you uh, are away. I don't know about you, but uh, it's always a nice thing to come home, isn't it? You know, it's one of those things, isn't it? As you drive back in, it can be damp and dreary, much as it was this morning, but you think oh, it'd be nice to be back. The reality is, for all of us in this room, there have been times in our lives when we've got things wrong. I'm sure that's very true. It's like this morning, I've got something wrong again. And that is that I've unplugged the USB lead from the back of the computer. And so Pastor Tim is now going to insert it for me. I'm always mucking things up. Are you? And it's not just things like USB leads in the back of computers. It's, um, sometimes it's stuff that I wouldn't dare share with you. As one of my heroes, Alexander McLaren, once said, if you could look into my heart, you'd spit in my face. Because I've mucked up many, many times in my life. I may stand at the front here and preach. I'm sure Pastor Tim will bear me out on this as well. You may, you may well see us presiding at communion. And, and you, you may think that we've got our lives all together. The reality is we haven't. We muck up. We fail. We trip up over stuff. And that's the truth. So if you've ever mucked up, would you put your hand up, please? Sinner. Put your hand up. Put your hand up if you've ever mucked up. Have a good look around now, will you please? Good look around, because you're in good company. Just want you to see that. You're not isolated. You're not alone. He's very humble and proud of it. That's his problem. Um, but the reality is we all muck up. Many instances in our lives that we could entertain the troops with of how we've done that. We've made some pretty big mistakes along the way. For many, if not most of us in this room, we can totally relate to that. We've had that pit in the stomach feeling. You ever had that? When you've done something and you come to that awful realization that you shouldn't have. That you've said something to somebody and it suddenly dawned on you. Oh gosh, I wish I hadn't said that. We've thought something. And we know we shouldn't have thought it. You ever been sitting here on a Sunday morning and during the service, the most random, awful, wicked thought just comes through your head? You're sitting there and all of a sudden something really, really bad comes into your head. Ever had that? Yes, good. I was worried then that it might just be me. 
But it happens. That's us. That's life. Here's what I know about everybody here this morning and anybody listening to the podcast of this sermon. At some point in your life, you'll have made a mistake that you regret. There'll be something even now that you can think about. It may have happened years ago. And you'll be thinking, hmm, yeah, wish I hadn't done that. You did something which, for whatever reason, has been eating you on the inside. You did something to somebody that perhaps broke a relationship. You did something in a relationship which you regret because you crossed a line that you never intended to cross. You said something to to somebody and and it really hurt them. And, And for all the tea in China, you wish you could have taken that back. But it was out. And you couldn't undo it. You've done something to yourself which you want to stop, but you struggle to. You watch things on your phone, in your room. You know you shouldn't be watching them, but you can't seem to stop. Hey, you're in good company. We all muck up. We all make mistakes. Here's something I've been learning through my own relationship with Jesus, which I hope we can all come to understand and work through together this morning, and why the love of Jesus is stronger than anything we can ever experience in the world. Here it is. You ready for this? Here it is. Your past mistakes don't necessarily prevent God from using you in the future. Wow. It's good news, isn't it? Because for everything that you've just remembered about how you've mucked up and the mistakes you've made, hear this. Your past mistakes don't necessarily prevent God from using you in the future. And more than that, as we'll see here this morning at communion, when you bring all that filth and nonsense and guilt and muck and everything, when you bring that to the foot of the cross, Jesus does something marvelous. He restores us. He redeems us. And he can use us in spite of our mess. Hallelujah. I'm really glad about that. And if you could tell your faces that you're glad as well, that would really help. It's one of the main reasons why I love Peter so much. I, I love Peter. He's, uh, he's an amazing guy. He, he, he personifies what I've just uh, spoken about and, and the truths that we can learn from his interaction with Jesus because he messed up pretty bad uh, on more than one occasion too. Uh, but if we can just look at his life, I think there are some amazing truths that we can know and apply to our lives as well. And I know that when I was uh, off ill, Pastor Tim took some, some of this stuff and, and explored it with you as well. And I, I hope really that this just helps to underline uh, some of this for you. This morning, I want to pick up with Peter right after Jesus is resurrected from the grave. We find Peter appearing to have given up on his relationship with Jesus. Ever been there? 
Ever thought that you've mucked up so badly that you just think, what's the point? What's the point? When we look at this interaction between Jesus and Peter, post-mess-up for Peter, we see how Jesus wonderfully restores and sends him out. Let me set the scene for you. Peter's gone back fishing. In spite of all that he'd gotten to witness over the last three years, as he followed Jesus around the countryside, into the towns, into the cities, for all that he'd heard Jesus preaching about, for all the miraculous things that he had seen Jesus do and perform, Peter has gone back to what he knew best. His old way of life, fishing. That's what he's doing. And he's doing it because he's mucked up. At the vital moment... He denied that he even knew Jesus, let alone have spent three years in his company. Consequently, Peter seems to have figured out he's out of the picture. He's disqualified. He's done that thing many of us do to ourselves. He's self-diagnosed himself. Do you do that? You go on the internet. Steve Hayward's been doing it all last week. Oh, I got the flu. Look at me. I'm terrible cold you had nothing else but very often when we muck up in life and particularly when we get things wrong in our christian uh, attitudes and behaviors and stuff when we muck up in that area one of the things we often do is that we self-diagnose disqualification so you come to church and communion is set and you come in and you look at that and you think oh blinking heck how can i take communion how on earth can I come to this table? If only they knew the truth about me. You identify with that? Do you often self-diagnose yourself as disqualified or as a failure? Well, that's what Peter did. He's mucked up. You know what, I think Peter is loved by a lot of us because he's like a lot of us. He had many of the failures that we're so familiar with in our own lives. You look at Peter, he overestimated himself, didn't he? And underestimated what temptation can do to a person. He thought he was way more committed than he actually was. He thought he loved Jesus way more than his actions proved. He thought he could face anything, triumphantly. <laughs> Found out in reality, he couldn't. By the time we get to the point that we're going to pick up the reading in a moment, even though he'd seen the risen Jesus, Peter's a broken man. He feels disqualified. He feels that he's a failure. So he goes back to fishing. If you read back in the Gospels, you'll know from Matthew 4, Jesus had met this bunch of fishermen, including Peter. He told them to drop their nets, leave everything behind, and he would make them fishers of men. And boy, they did. They dropped everything. They followed him. But now here we are three years later. Disqualified, failures, the three 
or four guys that were with Peter, they go back fishing. And Jesus suddenly appears on the shore. He asks them if they've caught anything. They say they hadn't. Jesus tells them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. You know the story, they catch so many fish they can't blink and get them all on board. And John turns to Peter and he says, It's the Lord! It's the Lord! And Peter takes off his cloak, dives into the water, and swims to the shore to see Jesus. And what we then see unfolding in this passage that we're going to look at, it's got very significant uh, things to say to you and me. Particularly as we come to communion today, and as we come to this service, maybe feeling disqualified, maybe feeling that we've mucked up, maybe feeling that we don't deserve anything from God. We'll see that God has very significant plans for this Peter, for this denying, impatient, impulsive guy who mucks up. And as we look at this section of Scripture, we're going to see what's essentially a call to faithfulness for any follower. doesn't matter whether you're still checking this Christianity business out. doesn't matter whether you are a lifelong member of a church, this church maybe. doesn't matter whether you can recite the books of the Bible inside out, backwards, or whatever. It doesn't matter how many Bible reading plans you've done. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, young or old, male or female. If you want to know what being a Christian really looks like, this is the passage for us this morning. It's true for any follower, any disciple, anybody who's going to serve Jesus. And praise God, it starts with a guy who mucks up and gets it wrong. So Jesus is eating breakfast with his disciples and then he focuses on Peter. And Duncan's going to come and read for us a little passage from John 21. Thanks, Duncan. You'll find the passage on page 1090 in the Church Bible. It's from John 21, starting at verse 15, and it's headed, Jesus Reinstates Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lamb. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time. Do you love me, he said. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, 
you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus says this to indicate the kind of death to which, by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Now this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to those things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks, Duncan. There's always something that grabs me straight away about that passage, and it annoys me. So it made me go away and do some uh, work, really, about it. Do you notice how it starts? When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. I, I don't know whether you even noticed that or picked up on that, but it's one of those little quirks, and you, you think... Hang on a minute, this is Simon Peter. Why is he suddenly calling him Simon, son of John? When he's writing about Peter, John always refers to him as Simon Peter. I think there, there might be one other exception uh, in John's gospel. But here, you notice he chooses very deliberately to say to him, Simon, son of John. I bet that got his attention. That was his name before he met Jesus. If you read through John's Gospel, you'll see how it was Jesus who gave him the name Peter. Uh, in the Greek, that's uh, the word Petros, which can be translated as rock. And what's fascinating is that right at the very start of Jesus' ministry, as he comes across this Peter character, this guy that's going to uh, have foot-in-mouth disease, uh, this guy who's going to muck up time and time again, um, Jesus meets this guy and he speaks into his life. Right at the very start of his encounter with him. He says, your name, your name is Simon, but you're a rock. And that becomes like his nickname. Before you read anything of his antics, before you read anything of what he got up to, how he mucked up, Jesus says to him, you are my rock, matey. Now, I, I was really blessed when I started to think about that. Isn't it good to know that we have a saviour for all that's going on and has gone on and will go on in our lives, we have a saviour, Jesus, who speaks 
into our lives because he sees the potential in you. Wow. Isn't that good? Because I don't know about the kind of God you grew up with, but the kind of God I grew up with, as I've shared many times before, was the God who was down on you, who was, you're miserable, look how bad you are, you've mucked up. And yet here we meet a Jesus, the saviour of the world, who's going to go to the cross, who's saying, yeah, you're going to muck up, but you're my rock. There's potential in you, I see something in you that even you don't see in yourself. Awesome. Awesome. He looks at you and he says, I can use you. You sitting here this morning feeling disqualified? You're going through a bad patch at the moment? Listen to the Savior speaking into your life this morning. He says to you, I love you. And I have a plan for you. Later, Jesus would speak again into Peter's life and say in Matthew 16, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So what does Jesus do here to grab Peter's attention? He uses his former name. This is a bit like when my mother used to stand at the bottom of the stairs and shout up, David Mark Owen, get down here now! Only louder. Yes. Now, my Catherine is nodding her head because she knows when she's Catherine, could be something wrong because usually she's Kate. When she's Catherine Sarah Owen, she appears promptly. She knows that there's something. Lots of you are nodding. You can identify with that. And here is Jesus saying to Simon, post mucka. He needs to get this guy's attention. This guy is down in the doldrums. This guy feels he's disqualified. He's sulking. And so the call goes up. Simon, son of John, are you listening, son? This is Jesus grabbing this guy's attention. He needs to deal with something, and he needs Peter's full attention to do it. He'd fallen so far. He'd mucked up so badly. The Lord uses his old name. Because Simon Peter has been acting like Simon, son of John. What does he say to him? That lovely interaction. Do you love me more than these? He said, yeah, you know that I love you. He says to him, feed my, feed my lambs. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. It must have come as a heck of a shock to Peter to be sing singled out like this. I'm sure he'd have preferred to melt into the crowd. That's the thing, isn't it? Many of us are like that. We'd rather come into church even on a Sunday and just sit in the crowd, let nobody single me out. Just want to blend into the background. But the problem with this Jesus whom we worship is that he wants 
to know us personally. He's not just interested in the crowd, he's interested in you and your muck-ups. Those things that you feel disqualify you. And so here, although there's a bunch of fishermen, Jesus is going to deal particularly with Peter. He gets hold of him. He targets him. And three times asks him if he loves him. I love that. He denied him three times, so he gives him the opportunity to restore him three times. For each time, there is that reply. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. When you act disobediently, you're declaring love for something other than Jesus. Peter had done that. Jesus says to him, do you love me more than these? What's he referring to there, do you think? As Jesus and Peter are standing there talking, it's easy perhaps to think that what Jesus is talking about is the other men, the other fishermen. Do you not love me, Peter, more than these other guys? I don't think that's actually what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is drawing attention to all the trappings of his former life. He's looking at the nets and the boat and the fish and everything, and he's saying to Simon, don't you love me more than these things? Don't you love me? You were prepared to give all this up, to abandon it. You were prepared to come and follow me one time. Do you love me more than these? And I think Jesus is asking us the same thing this morning. What is it that's distracted you? What is it that's caused you to muck up? What is it that's drawn you away? What is it this morning that makes you feel disqualified even to come to communion? Jesus wants to deal with those things. He wants to deal with you. He wants you to be restored to right relationship with him. What's been pulling you away? Why do you keep on going back to those things? Jesus says to you this morning, as he says to me, do you love me more than these? Why is it so hard for us to follow Jesus the way we know we should? Why do we do certain things or not do certain things when we know what God calls us to do? We all know how we should live as Christians. Of course we do. Those of us still checking this Christianity stuff out, we, we know basically what Christianity is about and how you'd expect a Christian to live and to act and to speak. And yet all of us here this morning, you know, we can raise our hands and say, well, we muck up, get it wrong. Why? And so Jesus goes deeper with Peter, because this is a question Peter needs to answer. Here's some corrective surgery. It hurts. It hurts. You can, you can hear that in the way that John records that little incident there on the third question. He says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? 
Jesus is questioning whether Peter loves him. Do you love me more than these things? Do you love me more than fishing? Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself. Not if you had a bad back, I tell you, gosh. Walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you wherever you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Look at this bit. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Following Jesus is hard. Being a Christian isn't always easy. You don't always get it right. You muck up. But following Jesus has got three basic components. It's a call to love Jesus more than anything else. And if you've been struggling with things, if you've been mucking up, that's where you need to begin this morning. Do you love Jesus? Start there this morning. Do you love him? It's a call then to sacrifice for Jesus. To give up stuff. To give up that other stuff. And then to follow as Jesus challenges Peter there. That's what discipleship looks like. That's what Christian discipleship looks like here in Risca and in China and in Armenia and America and Australia worldwide. Being a Christian is all about loving Jesus, sacrificing for Jesus, and following Jesus. For every believer, male, female, rich, poor, black, white, American, African, Welsh, Vietnamese, it doesn't matter. That's what Christianity looks like. And notice here the Lord asked him one question three times. Do you love me? Now, as we prepare to come to communion this morning, that's where we need to begin. Because many of us here feel disqualified. We've let the Lord down. We've got areas in our lives where we've mucked up. We don't feel worthy. But hear Jesus asking this question. Do you love me? Because I guarantee you, you will follow what you love. And you will serve what you love. And you will sacrifice for what you love or who you love. So love is the most important thing in this whole question this morning. It's the key. Now as you and I come to communion... I want to say to you, love fails when it disobeys. When marriages go wrong, it is because somebody's eyes haven't been on the game. Somebody has looked elsewhere. They have loved something, someone, more than their partner, their spouse. And tragically, things end up as we all know too well. It's the same for any area in our lives. Love is the key thing. 
Do we love Jesus more? I don't care how much sentiment we might feel. I don't care how emotionally uh, uh, bound to Jesus you may feel. I don't care how many tears you may shed or how certain songs move you and make you feel misty-eyed and all of that. Uh, It's not about sentiment. That isn't the issue. Your love fails when you disobey. When I muck up, the truth is, I have taken my eyes off of Jesus and I have chosen, because usually it's a deliberate conscious decision of the will, to sin. Not something that I just happen to do. I've taken my eyes off of him and I have loved something else more than him. You follow what you love. You'll serve what you love. You'll sacrifice for who you love. This interaction between Jesus and Peter is very important for you and me. Because it shows us, doesn't it, that your past mistakes don't necessarily prevent God from using you in the future. Peter messed up. Remember that, please. Big time. His devotion for Jesus had slipped. And in his mind, he'd blown it. He was done. He went back to his old life. Many of us have been tempted to do the same thing in our own lives. I mean, just here we are, what, six, seven weeks into a new year? How many of you made New Year resolutions? And how many of you have already mucked up on them? Yeah, I've got to put both hands up there. There we go. We all have good intentions, but we mess up, we slip up, we do dumb things. And we end up thinking... Well, that's it then. So January the 1st was going to be a new diet. Yay! Yeah, January the 8th was going to be a new diet. Yay! February the 18th is going to be a new diet. Yay! We muck up. We slip. This table... This table says to you and me this morning that if you love Jesus, you come. With all your muck and filth, with all the nonsense that's gone on, with all that guilt that's eating away at you, but if you love Jesus this morning, if you love him, you come. You may not feel worthy. Well, you come with me because I don't feel worthy either. But let's eat, let's drink in remembrance of somebody who believes in us and who speaks into our lives and who says to us, I love you and I want you to love me more than all this other stuff. You're not disqualified. Hear that this morning. You are not disqualified.